Let us pause in life's pleasures and count its many tears while we all share sorrow with the poor. There's a song that will linger forever in our ears. Oh, hard times come again no more. Tis the song, the sigh of the Welcome to the Anderson Observer Podcast, news from people you trust, and we're all ready for some good times to come again here. I just want to say the Anderson Observer Podcast, which is news from people you trust, is brought to you by Sullivan's Metropolitan Grill, Anderson's finest dining establishment for more than 20 years. When Bill Nickus decided to launch Sullivan's downtown, it was a ghost town. He kicked off a renaissance downtown Anderson at a time where nobody wanted to go downtown. It was largely abandoned. And in those years since, Sullivan's has been named one of America's top 100 restaurants, and with good reason, with people driving from Atlanta, Charlotte, all over just to visit and eat there. And one of those reasons is they found out about it. They've been featured in culinary magazines all over the country and in cover of the Wall Street Journal. But during these tough days, they have the to-go only menu. And Sullivan's has continued to offer their excellent menu curbside and delivery. And I hope you're all taking advantage of this and supporting our local businesses and restaurants. And they have specials all the time you want to take advantage of. Very good food. We picked it up ourselves. It's really good. And, of course, when things return to normal, don't forget Sullivan's Caters. They offer fine white tablecloth catering of the best food you can get at the same prices you'll pay for those tin pans full of uh, macaroni and cheese and chicken. Sullivan's has long been a sponsor of the Anderson Reserver podcast, and Bill Nickus is a very good friend of mine. So, I, you know, it's a win-win for us here, and I always like to talk about Sullivan's because I, I, I believe in it. But for more information, you can find out more. Visit Sullivan's Metropolitan Grill on Facebook or online. And it has been another great week in Anderson, in spite of the stay-at-home or go-directly-to-work orders that are still in place and all that goes with that stuff. Spring and, of course, the pollen is in full swing. You can see it everywhere. But the good news is allergy sufferers can now wear surgical masks everywhere without anybody making fun of them or drawing too much attention since everybody's wearing them for the virus anyway. Well, not everybody, but some people are. Uh, speaking of those masks, if you're one of those people, if you have access to one, it's still a good idea to wear a mask in the grocery store or pharmacy or any other place you might be around other people. Um... You know, a bandit-style bandana is also okay if you don't have a mask. It just provides some protection for you and also for the people you'll be around. You may be one of those people who can get it and have no symptoms and be immune, but you may spread it to someone else. And I am weary of those people maintaining this is just another flu, forgetting that by today, or actually yesterday, last night, the number of Americans who died from the coronavirus in about six or seven weeks has passed the number that died during the entire Vietnam War. And just think about that. That's nearly 60,000 deaths in less than two months. And, and the problem is we don't know that much about it. It's serious and it affects us all. And this week I talked to a number of local leaders about this. I talked to Anderson Mayor Terrence Roberts about how the city is meeting the challenge, Anderson School District 5, Superintendent Tom Wilson about schools dealing with this virus and the changes they had to make, and Meals on Wheels of Anderson Executive Director Lori Ashley, who is grateful for community support as they start this new food program for seniors across the county during this time. Uh, I also talked to Anderson County Councilman Craig Wooten, who is seeking new challenges for political offices. He runs for the state Senate, South Carolina Senate seat three, and he was going to talk to me a little bit. He talked to me a little bit about how uh, candidates are, are facing certain challenges heading into the June 9th GOP primary. 
I also talked to Glenn Brill, Director of Parks, Recreation, and Tourism for Anderson County, who has some good news about other friends and neighbors helping out. And I talked to Tanya Winbush, the new director of the Anderson County Democratic Party. But first, I want to go through a, a few news stories or things that are going on. Uh, Anderson School District 5 had planned to have a virtual sort of an online with students only graduation. Students would have attended. They had planned on going to the New Spring Auditorium and renting it and putting students four or five seats apart and having no uh, friends or family in attendance and only a few teachers. But they had too many complaints and questions and it got too confusing. So they decided just to pull the plug and maybe if they can hold graduation at a later date. But graduates can now pick up their diplomas June 1st from uh, Hannah or Westside. They'll be available and school is going to be out that last week of May. And school is still going on. We'll talk a little bit more about that. If you've been out to the Civic Center trying to walk around that track to get a little sunshine, you'll notice the ducks are gone. The ducks were removed from Chris Taylor Park due to a duck viral enteritis duck plague that is a worldwide disease caused by this long it has nothing to do with the coronavirus is the alpha herpivirus and it's a family that causes an acute disease with a very high mortality rate among flocks of ducks geese and swans and it can be spread both vertically and horizontally which means through the water and direct contact don't think it can hurt people and we don't have any word on whether new ducks are going to come back out there um, suits me fine if they don't those ducks and those geese particularly the geese just made a mess and uh, I know they were very photogenic and people like to see them, but that'd be all right with me if the ducks didn't come back to the Civic Center. Uh, ANMED's now requiring all patients arriving for appointments or procedures to wear face coverings. This applies to patients arriving at the hospital on all campuses, emergency rooms, outpatient facilities, physician practices. Um, those who don't have a mask can use a bandana, scarf, sports buff. And if you ride without one, don't worry. Uh, I took somebody to the hospital today and they had masks at the front desk for people who don't have them. And I uh, had mine on, and I noticed some people didn't. They were telling them you got to put one of these on. They also check your temperature and ask you a few questions about if you traveled and those kind of basic things to see if you were high risk for the coronavirus before they'll let you into any of those facilities. And if you are one of those people trying to avoid too much direct contact, remember the Anderson County Library is offering not only a digital library card if you didn't have a library card, but now they have curbside service where you can call the library and find and, and get books and pick them up and request books. Um, the easiest way is the digital, if you have access to that, if you have an e-reader. Um, it's, it's incredible. I have already checked out maybe and read half a dozen books in the last few weeks from the library and a few audio books as well. So I read the books on my Kindle, listen to them on my phone. It's amazingly easy. And I want to say a special thanks to Faithline and Annie Sutton, Brianna McDonald, and all those other folks at the Anderson County Library that have worked to make our library among the very best in the state. And during this time when people that are home that aren't working are looking for something to do and don't have to spend any money, free books, free audio books, free movies, free television, even free comic books and stuff people can read is a really nice option for a lot of folks who are stuck at home to have. There's other good news as well, and I love the stories about our community coming together. You'll remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about how the community stepped up to help AIM, and now Mills on Wheels of Anderson, Anderson County, Southern Way Catering, and a primary source of funding, uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina are working together to provide food for seniors across Anderson County for the next six weeks. Uh, that was just announced today that Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina was the, the primary source of the funds. They'd kind of held that close to the vest. They'd been named a partner, but now we know they're the ones who provided the money. Um, that distribution began Tuesday at, at uh, the Anderson County Civic Center, and together um, over the next six weeks, these groups are expected to provide about 5,000 meals to the senior population in Anderson. Um, the program did kick off Tuesday at the Civic Center with about 500 meals distributed, and while there were fewer meals, there was still a steady line later Tuesday at the Pendleton location. 
And the way it works is the senior citizens drive up in their car. They need their ID. I'll go over that in a minute. And the food is put in their vehicles, either their trunk, the back seat, or something by servers who are wearing protective masks and gloves. And if you know of anybody who could use this help, uh, here are the dates and locations. And keep in mind, you can pick up meals for seniors if they can't get out or drive or too nervous about it. If you visit one of these sites as well, please check the Meals on Wheels Facebook uh, site for more information to get details. But the locations uh, are the following. On Tuesdays, they will be from 10.30 a.m. till noon at the Anderson County Civic Center. And on Tuesday afternoons from 1 to 2.30 p.m. at Pendleton First Baptist Church. On Thursdays from 10.30 a.m. till noon, they'll be at the Homeland Park Water Company. And on Thursdays from 1 to 2.30 p.m., they'll be at the Piedmont Shopping Center in Piedmont. On Saturdays from 10.30 to noon, they'll be at BHP High School. And then Saturdays from 1 to 2.30 p.m., they'll be on the Ivatown Square. So the whole county's being covered. And that's always great to see that reaching out. And, and of course, they had a, a food program for seniors um, that were not served by Meals on Wheels that was ongoing throughout the county. There had been a partnership between Anderson County and Meals on Wheels of Anderson. But they have now uh, had to suspend that, obviously, because of the coronavirus uh, requirements and, and precautions. If you do want, uh, are a senior who are interested or know someone who is, uh, they need to be a senior citizen 60 years old or over, or taking a meal to a senior citizen, and to be a resident of Anderson County, you have to give them your name and address and phone number when you pick it up. You get only two meal packs per car, which is two five-meal packs. I looked at all of them. And individuals are only allowed to pick up one per week. You can't, like, go to Anderson Pendleton. Don't, don't be greedy. Uh, now, if you're picking them up for other people, that might be a different issue. You might want to check with Meals on Wheels about that. And each individual does have to show a state-issued ID of some sort. If you're picking up for a senior citizen, just have your ID with you as well. And, again, the best place to find information on that is Meals on Wheels, Anderson's Facebook page because it's kept up to date. And here's uh, what Meals on Wheels director Lori Ashley had to say about that program. Keep in mind this interview was done just before Blue Cross Blue Shield revealed that they were the chief sponsor of the, the, pro, the food program for seniors in South Carolina. Meals on Wheels Anderson recently um, received a grant through a private donor that they are going to fund the ability for us to feed our local community. This is very different than Meals on Wheels normally does because we normally deliver to the person's home. They have to qualify by being homebound. Um, but this, because of the COVID-19 issue and pandemic that we're having, um, the idea is just to get out the message that we are here to feed those who need our service. Um, this private donor is funding a couple of different programs across the state right now, and the person needs to be at least 60 years of age, so the senior population, and um, if they come up to our sites, bring their driver's license with their information, then we will provide a five meal pack. We are utilizing um, the resources through Southern Way Catering to help us do this, so it's not taxing on Meals on Wheels kitchen staff here. Um, so we're very excited about that part of it too. We'll have um, six sites each week across Anderson County. Our sites are on Tuesday, we will have the Anderson Civic Center from 10.30 to 12, and then we'll move over to Pendleton First Baptist Church from 1 until 2.30. And then on Thursdays, we'll be at Homeland Park Water Company from 10.30 to 12, and then from 1 to 2.30, we'll be at the Piedmont Shopping Center in Powdersville. And then again on Saturday, we'll be at Belton Honeyapath High School from 10.30 to 12. And then on Saturday at 1, we'll be at the Ivatown Square until 2.30 or then again until the meals run out. 
Um, as you know, Meals on Wheels mission is to deliver to the homebound and to feed the body and soul. Um, we provide that nutritional meal, but we also provide that daily check. And the idea behind this is that the senior population is, one, afraid to get out of their home. Um, two, may not be able to go to the grocery stores because of their own immune system. Um, and so we know that they have been compromised by the pandemic. So um, the, the funder that has offered these generous dollars to us um, is very concerned about the long-term long -term aspects of what the pandemic is doing to the senior population. Um, we know that they are isolated and may not be eating the proper nutritional food that they need to be. We're excited about our partnerships with this. As I mentioned before, Southern Way Catering will be providing the food. Um, they are a catering service out of Greenville and obviously not being able to do what they normally do, they have stepped up to the plate to help us. Uh, we have Anderson County involved. Um, the County Administrator Rusty Burns has been very excited about this. He's offered um, personnel to help us figure out our plan and as well as um, contacted some of the sites for us to get those set up. And uh, the Sheriff's Office has offered deputies that will be on site to help us manage the traffic flow. Um, so we're just real excited about everyone's participation. Also, we have um, some volunteers that are helping us that will be committed to that. New Spring Church and the Montessori School will be helping us man the sites as well. One of the other things that we're excited about doing is we're able to hand out information to a large population of people. Um, so we work closely with the Appalachian Council of Governments. They have some flyers of information that we're going to be giving out about um, caretakers and, and some resources that they can have. We're going to be handing out flyers of information about the census and encouraging people to sign up for the census because it is very important to Anderson County for people to do, um, do that information for us, to, to provide that information to the government so that we can in turn and get money back into our state. So um, we're real excited that not only are we providing food to those people, that we're providing information that will be helpful for them for resources. If you need more information, our best location to find information is on Facebook. We have our sites listed, we have our times listed there, and information for people. Um, if you don't have access to Facebook, you're welcome to call Mills on Wheels office at 225-6800 and we'll be glad to give you that information as well. As part of an attempt to keep this podcast manageable, because there are a number of interviews on here, I did edit out a lot of the questions you heard Lori's answers, but she did give you a good overview of what's going on with that. Another good story that uh, really came to light in the past week was a group of ladies in Anderson who wanted to do something during these uncertain times, and these ladies all had needles and threads in their hands. They were members of the Prickly Fingers Quilt Guild, and they stepped up to do what they can by sewing protective masks um, for those who work for Anderson County, and they're also doing some for others as well. Uh, one of the members is the wife of Glenn Brill, who's Director of Parks, Recreation, and Tourism for Anderson County. And here's what Glenn had to say about the charitable acts that his wife's group has been involved in. Glenn, tell me a little bit about what, what we're talking about here today. Is somebody local's making a mask? And tell, kind of, give me yes. the genesis of how that began. And Well, when this, when this whole coronavirus, COVID-19, began, um, I realized that I had a good resource living in my house with me, my wife Lynn. She's a member of the Prickly Fingers Quilt Guild. So last week we put the word out to Prickly Fingers saying, can you please make masks for county employees? Uh, to date, Prickly Fingers have delivered 55 masks to the county and they have primarily been distributed to our solid waste and facilities departments. 
Quilts of Valor Anderson County, which is based in the old McCants Junior High School on Fan Street, it's actually one of the pedals of programming for our Anderson County Senior Center, reached out to Tommy Forrest, their leader, last week, and they are delivering 105 masks today, which will be distributed to county employees. These quilting organizations are involved in a lot of charitable kind of work, aren't they? They are, they are. I mean, the, the, there are two quilt guilds in Anderson, and every other year they have a big quilt show at the the Civic Center of Anderson. You know, Quilts of Valor itself is an amazing story because they basically make quilts to wrap veterans in, and they've actually started with just two rooms in the McCants Junior High. They've actually grown to a third room, and if we had a fourth room, I'm sure they would take it. But last year, they wrapped hundreds of local veterans in quilts, uh, and it's just a real neat program. And these masks, are they going to continue to make them for a while? or They, they will. They will. And the beauty of it is... That li I being married to a quilter for 30 years, they all have massive amounts of fabric and thread in their quilting studios. So if we need more masks later, I can put another call out and I'm sure they will answer the call. And I know that for sure Quilts of Valor can do that because I know they did a thousand masks for AnMed Hospital uh, a few weeks ago. So I'm sure they could easily come up with another 100 or 200 if we needed them. So it's good to see these good stories coming out of this challenging time here, people stepping up. It really is. I've actually noticed in dealing with the public, people have just become nicer. I mean, there are some people who are all often cranky or suspicious of the county, and when I'm talking to them, they're nice, they're understanding, and they, they want to work together. So if that's what comes out of the coronavirus, we have a nicer society, that's a positive. I agree with Glenn, that is a positive, and I am seeing people in some cases being kinder. I'd like to see more of it. Sometimes the people out in the grocery stores or the pharmacies or places are, are tired or, or nervous or not feeling good and they're a little snippy. It's easy to get that way quick, but I do appreciate the, the acts of goodwill we are seeing. Um, meanwhile, while folks are doing those kind of things, other people are having to work, and I caught up with the mayor of Anderson, Terrence Roberts, to talk about how the city is progressing during these days of, of pandemic. Yeah, since this has all sort of come in to, to full swing, I mean, it's no who knows when it started, but when it came into full swing, all the restrictions and stuff, uh, how, how has the city moved to deal with all this, this new way of looking at things for temporary times? Well, um, speaking of bragging on people, I, I, I do want to brag on our, uh, uh, our administrative team in particular, um, David McEwen has done a stellar job in leading the city um, during this unprecedented time of, of, of tackling the um, coronavirus. You know, he was, uh, we were pretty uh, much um, right on the, you know, the number of weeks that we've been into this. Um, he, he positioned the city uh, very well. First of all, just thanking the safety of our employees and um, um, just from um, opening up just the necessary function as far as building restrictions. Um, uh, most of our buildings uh, are, are not being um, entered by the public, but we've had to keep certain aspects of our bids, for example, um, our water department. Uh, even though customers can't come in, um, we do have a drive-in window where they can come up and, and make payments from water buildings. Uh, our police and public works and our firefighters have had to be out there, and so 
we've taken a number of um, precautions throughout that part of the organization to uh, protect our employees. So those are some of the things that we've been doing. Yeah, and people forget, I mean, things go, that have to be done, y'all have to do. So y'all, the city is still open for business, even though it's had to adjust and do some limited kind of things, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, we, we still uh, are actively uh, running our transit system. Um, now, uh, and, and because people, um, even though we had to stay at home, go to work, stay at home, we still had to get people to work. And so we, we've had to adjust the way we, we've done that. We're uh, cleaning buses um, as far as trying to keep those places um, clean and sanitized. Um, a challenge has been, you know, sometimes with the so- social distancing um, of ridership uh, of our buses. So we've had to limit the number of people who can get on a bus to keep them um, safe. But... You know, that, that system is still running and still getting people to and from work. Right. And how is how is this? I know, you know everybody's talking about the effect of the economy. How is, economically, how is this affecting the city? Well, you know, economically, um, we are, um, we were in a strong financial position um, uh, in regards to our reserves, our uh our, our um, balance sheet, and you know, I guess that's why you save money. You know, the cities and municipalities uh, and government, local governments, we have to balance our budgets uh, every year, and so our fund balance was in a situation where it, it helped us. Now, having said that, um, we've done things like delay uh, collections of business licenses. Um, and um, certain other things, that, and that's the biggest thing that would affect small business or businesses throughout the city. And so we um, obviously have to watch our bottom line, but you know, we I, I think financially we're doing okay. Well, that's good to hear. I was thinking maybe the hospitality tax might take a hit if this keeps going on much longer because the restaurants. Yeah. I mean, no doubt about it. You know, if anything, um, from a, as you know, the 2% on prepared foods and and, uh, beverages um, has obviously decreased um, over the last 30 days. Now, you know, that might force us to delay uh, hospitality projects. Um, But, you know, I mean, that's just the nature of the beast. So we'll have to just play that by by year do you ever anticipate in all your years as a community citizen and as a mayor we'd run into something this odd no i was just telling uh young man i've known for a while i think um um charlie's i think 27 and i i, I or early 24 maybe 24 he's somewhere in that age and i asked him you know um how old he was when when 9/11 happened, and um, I think he said he might have been in the, the second grade. He remembers that, but for me and you, we remember um, other things, you know, too. You know, mm-hmm. Kennedy, Vietnam, right. um, King, um, and, but you know, this is um, I just turned 60, so this is um, 
I, I think I'll be able to tell my grandchildren that this was a very um, of my lifetime. I think this is probably the oddest um, situation that we've been in. Do you think there's any things we've we've learned from this time of having to do things differently that might benefit us going ahead? You know, I, I do. I, I think probably um, one of the things I've noticed um, is, and, I, and I've said this before, I think is, is this whole experience has been a, a lesson in human caring. Um, you know, we've all taken small actions like social distancing, staying at home, uh, even delaying individual celebrations to protect each other. And so we know that um, each of us has had to sacrifice a little. And hopefully at the end of the day, as we come out of this, we've all um, gained a lot. So um, I, I just think that we just keep need to keep need to be caring of each other, um, um, just find the endurance and the courage to to um, rely on each other. And I guess looking ahead, and there will be a, a time ahead when this is past us, uh, the hotels seems to be going up on schedule pretty much, and uh, you know, still seeing a lot of people downtown, and it looks like uh, the, the, the plans are in place when this all this virus stuff lifts that things are going to start moving ahead again, right? Yeah, I believe so. Um, uh, the hotel, um, uh, uh, I almost look at it daily, and they feel like they're still on track for a next year uh, first quarter opening. Um, uh, the um, parking garage is, um, the foundation of the parking garage is, is being um, put in place, and so that project will continue to go. Um, we also have still going on is the projects that we've had um, with our city hall and our municipal building center, and those projects keep going. And so um, I think even from an economic development part of the, I want to um, praise our guys on that end too because they're still talking to um, uh, developers both in the city and outside the city, and hopefully uh, at, at some point when this clears and we're able to get back to um, more of a normal, we'll, we'll be able to have some economic development that's come out of this too. Yeah, I think downtown, I mean, with, with you know John Wright Jr. moving down there and uh, a lot more housing going in, it really is. Downtown continues to develop even in the midst of all this. I've noticed a lot of things happening downtown. It is. I'm, I'm excited about the future. Well, I'll talk to you certainly before this, but I'm looking forward to the tree lighting when we don't even have to talk about viruses or anything. <laughs> when the weather will be cool, no more pollen and nothing. So we'll. Uh, but I appreciate you taking a minute or two to talk to me, man. If anything else comes up, just let me know. I'll take care of it for you. I'm not exactly sure what I was telling the mayor at the end of that interview. <laughs> I don't know what I can take care of for the city. But if there's anything I can do to help the city or the county during these times, I'm always there. The Observer has always been an advocate for people doing anything good, and we will continue to do that. Not only the city, and of course, last week we talked to the Anderson County Administrator, Rusty Burns, and just talked to the mayor, but the schools across the county have, have really been hit hard by the challenges of this coronavirus, and with no classes in the buildings for now and through the rest of the school year and no graduation and none of the spring sports and those kind of things, uh, it still doesn't mean schools are closed. If you don't have you know children school age, you may not think about school, but it's still going full blast. All the classes, all five districts in Anderson County are holding classes online. 
and also hard at work delivering tens of thousands of meals to students in each one of the districts. Um, all five superintendents told me their cafeteria staffs and bus drivers have been really amazing in stepping up to help make sure that none of the kids go hungry and some of the teachers and coaches and principals ride on those buses out and the kids are really happy to see them. And I did talk to Anderson School District 5 Superintendent Tom Wilson about how his schools have worked to meet the challenges of this new way to have to do school. Um, Tom, a lot of people who don't have school-aged kids think schools are closed. They think school's over for the year. Obviously, that's not true. Explain to people what's been going on and how y'all handle it District 5. Yeah, the, the best way to, to describe that, it's just, it's not traditional school, but it's still school. All our students are getting assignments through technology, uh, through Chromebooks, which are like a laptop. Uh, we have them all issued from kindergarten through 12th grade. And uh, their teachers are going online with them every day or with their parents, you know, depending on the age of the child. And our teachers are working every day, our administrators in schools, uh, obviously not eight hours a day. Uh, we required uh, with our e-learning uh, approval to have three and a half hours of instruction a day. Um, and we have bus drivers that are working, cafeteria uh, staffs working, custodians, maintenance, clerical staff, uh, folks are uh, working different hours to make sure they accumulate their time. Uh, some will work additional hours this summer to you know ensure that everybody meets those requirements. We've been feeding, delivering around 12,000 meals a day. Uh, that's breakfast and lunch. We, just, we deliver a breakfast and a lunch at around noon each day. Um, we'll have lunch that day and it's, it's for breakfast the next morning. Most of it is prepared or uh, bagged together by our cafeteria staff. I was going to ask you, who's doing all this manual worth a lot of work for you? <clears throat> yeah, it's, uh, it's our um, food service staff and then our bus drivers, then we have uh, some of our custodial staff are helping to deliver. We've had coaches volunteer uh, at both high schools to help deliver, but they deliver about 12,000 meals a day. Uh, and in the near future, we hope to be deliver, not only on Fridays, deliver meals for Saturday and Sunday. Like before spring break, we delivered, you know, 60,000 meals for spring break, uh, you know, where they would have food during spring break. How do these kids respond to seeing the buses come and bringing their food? Uh, very excited. I, you know, I've uh, driven behind the buses and talked to some of the staff, but the kids learn once they learn that I go to my bus stop and they hand it out. And, you know, we've had principals ride on the buses to see the, the students. Uh, I think it's, um, it's very well received. We've had some kids show up that they're not even our students, but we we don't know who they are. But they're kids that are hungry, and 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 we certainly give them food as well. And and the feedback's been very positive. In fact, we've had more calls about feeding than we have instruction, which shows you the desperate situation a lot of families are in right now. And if this doesn't if we don't flatten the curve soon, it's going to get worse as more and more people uh, lose jobs or are unemployed or whatever. But uh, it's been a, you know, I can't speak enough about how our um, culinary services. Those people uh, are often forgotten. Oh, yeah. And um, 
and we've been they've been working overtime. Uh, our bus drivers have been just team players. Um, uh, they know all the kids, so when they go to a bus stop, they know. Well, you know, where's Greg's brother? He's supposed to be here. Well, you know, you be sure to give this to him. And I've seen parents waving at the buses. Uh, so it's been a it's been a, a, a team effort. The instruction in the classroom uh, or, or through our e-learning. Before we get out of that, the challenge too is to maintain safety while you're doing that. That's, that makes it even harder than just packing stuff up and handing it out. Yeah, yeah. We've been very fortunate that we haven't had anybody that's you know has gotten a virus or anything. And people are practicing, you know, safe distance, washing hands, obviously, and wearing gloves and and different things to protect themselves. But it's been uh, it's been a Herculean effort. And a lot of districts, and then we do have some pickup sites as well at some of our schools for folks that parents want to come out and pick it up. But we're staying with the delivery model till this school year is over. Uh, some districts around the state, you know, tried that early on, but you know we're we're committed to it. And and uh, then once summer gets here, we'll do our summer feeding program like we've done in the past. And you mentioned instruction. Uh Anderson 5 was sort of in a unique position in South Carolina that y'all were the first ones to do distance learning and the, the online learning and stuff. But it wasn't intended to go this long. How has that been working out? Yeah, originally, uh, and, and, and we were the first to be selected and work with the General Assembly to get a proviso passed that allows us to do it. And we, had, we were approved by the EOC. Now there's 15 districts around the state that are e-learning approved. And actually, we we mentor five other districts around the state and um, you know originally it was set up for a three or four day event and um, but we've been very fortunate that what a lot of districts don't do which I'm proud of us is roll, having an e-learning program is really a three-legged stool you got to have the technology you got to have the devices then you got to have the instructional support, and we have what we call DISSES, Digital Integration Specialists, at each school. So they work with the teachers to uh, push out assignments and, and work with them on uh, implementing this kind of instruction. Also, <clears throat> excuse me, we have, uh, we have to have break it and fix people because you've got 13,000 devices out in the community they're going to break. They they drop them a, 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 a you know glass cracks or something, and that's why here at the office we have the uh, Chrome Depot, <laughs> where people can. You may have seen the signs when you come in. If you having a problem, if you have a problem with your Chromebook, you come up. You go to the basement. We have a reset. You know where they it's all blocked off. Our technicians look at it if it can be fixed quick. We fix it. If not, we give them another Chromebook to use. So that's been a very positive uh, uh, support staff, and, and and that just shows you've got to have all those components, and you just can't give everybody a, a, a Chromebook or a laptop and say, "Look, go figure this out," because it's it's it, it's too many. It, it's a moving target. But, uh, a couple of years ago when we talked about initiating this, the teachers were just kind of getting used to it. Most mm -hmm. of them are pretty up to speed now and pretty comfortable, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. They're all, um, 
uh, because we've done a lot of in-service, a lot of training. We're doing, in fact, we do. We, we've done training during this uh, COVID-19 through WebEx um, with teachers to our professional development. Uh, we're up and and. In fact, next year we're upgrading all our technology in all the classrooms, and the teachers are getting new laptops, uh, you know, with more horsepower than what we have. So it's about a four and a half million dollar, five million dollar project that we were already going to do anyway. But this just shows you the need for it. Now, if, if a student is struggling, teachers still have contact with students. Is yeah, that correct. They can it's email. Not just a distance learning that yeah. they can still. Yeah, and a lot of our teachers are calling students. Um, uh, a lot of them are one-to-one -one technology, talking to them, and we encourage that a lot. You know, and a lot of ours have done the parades and ride around different things. But um, you know, the teachers have been um, above and beyond the call of duty, and because this is hard for them, and uh, it's different, and they want to be with their students. You know, and I've seen post where teachers would post something and students and parents and I miss you we miss seeing you uh, you realize that relationship that they've had you know our biggest concern for a lot of our students is they've lost 25 percent of face-to-face -face instruction you know even though we're e-learning and e-learning is by far better than handing out little packets to go home and do busy work with and and we realize we're going to have some work to do next year with remediation and what concerns me not so much high school kids but those first second third fourth graders who were struggling readers to start with and those are the ones we've really got to focus and be creative if not we're going to have a bubble seven or eight years from now that can affect kids that are graduating from high school so you know, we, we're already well aware of that. Uh, our principals are, as I told them, they got to really think outside the box next fall. What are we going to do to make sure those kids don't become the lost generation? And um, um, because it, it can have an impact. You've been around education for decades now. Did you Have you ever seen anything that pr promoted this kind of challenge? No, uh, we're, I've never seen anything like this. I don't think anybody has. I, I think you'd have to go back to maybe the polio epidemic in the 50s, um, um, you know, certainly World War II, um, you know, the Great Depression and the Dust Bowl and all those things, the Spanish flu epidemic. But this is going to be something that... Um, you know, these seniors, I mean, you know, we got kids now, they were born with 9-11. They've gone, they, their whole world has been domestic and foreign terrorism. You know, school shootings, Columbine, all the way through. And now here with their senior year, you know, uh, there's no proms. There's no yearbook, sign. you know, signing yearbooks as we, you know, as part of the culture. So it's uh, it's been a, you know it, you know it it's been a difficult time for a lot of those seniors who have gone through this their whole career and um, but I, I do think in the long run hopefully in the long run going through this will make us a stronger uh, I know in 
communities, you see more people walking, you see more neighbors talking, you know, uh, more families are eating together. It kind of reminds me, and I'm probably older than most viewers, but it reminds me of being a kid when we never ate out. You know, you ate three meals a day at your house and you see more kids playing in the yard, uh, riding bicycles. So in a way, I think there's some positive things out of it um, that uh, hopefully will will make us a better people in the long run. And what about lessons maybe that would will be beneficial moving forward in education? Have there been things y'all have learned that you might not have thought about or tried if it hadn't been for this? No, uh, you know, because we had... Um, you know, we'd used e-learning. We, you know, each time we use it, we got better. You know, we first did it. There were a lot of glitches. I mean, like any implementation dip you have with something new. Uh, but each time we've used it, I, I think we're highly skilled at it now. Um, I can comfortably say I think we're certainly the leader, the standard bearer in the state because we've been doing it longer, and we've invested. 11 or 12 million dollars to get to this point um there were some folks around the state that thought e-learning was you know a waste but i think everybody's seeing it now that um you know that it's paid off and we were discussing earlier today that i think we're going to see a lot of um folks realize things can be done from home uh in the world in the workplace and it's been done a lot in metro, big metro areas, Atlanta, New York, you know, but in more smaller places, you don't see as much uh, teleworking as we as you do in bigger cities. Um, but now we're seeing that there are a lot of jobs can be done from, you know, a, a computer and a cell phone. But on the other hand, there are a lot that can't. And, and I think this whole experience has taught us that Maybe what we thought was essential was not as essential as we thought. Right now, the folks that are very essential are people that are stocking shelves in grocery stores, those truck drivers that are delivering products, people that here before we may have never thought about, but I think their stock went up, that these folks are important to our survival. What about the kids who've missed spring sports and stuff? I mean, that's another yeah. loss there. Yeah, it's it's... It's, it's gone and you can't get it back. And uh, you hate it because, you know, there's kids that were going to be state champions, perhaps as a team or individually. Um, we've had, some, you know, some returning state champions in track and field or whatever that wanted to compete. That's not going to happen. Um, and it, it's, you know, they'll never get it back. And as a parent told me who has a senior, she said, you know, the sad thing is they left school on that Friday, the 13th of March, I guess, and they never went back. There was no closure. And um, it's almost like, it was, you know, it was a ghost town and we can't go back. And, and so we're, we're working now to how we can get back and get their personal belongings out of the schools and those type of things. And, and you hate it for, for all the kids, but particularly the seniors that, uh, you worked at this point and all those things that are kind of the rite of passage, honors night, you know, uh, yearbook signings, all those things that prom, they're just not going to happen. 
with the economy struggling the way it is, how has that affected bond issues and those kind of things? Is that going to be a difficult thing for y'all? Are y'all okay? Or? Well, we don't. You know, we don't. We're not going to have any bond referendum. We have discussed how's this going to impact sales tax. Um, and I've had conversations with people that look. It may not be as bad as you think, because it's a friend of mine told me that a friend of his owns a paint store, and last month was the best month they've ever had. So you get, you know, Home Depot, Lowe's, you see people buying, you know, pallets. Parking of, lots full. Yeah, because yeah. people are like, hey, I can get all these home projects done. I've been wanting to paint the inside. I've been wanting to put out bark, pine straw, pressure wash. Uh, so I think you'll, you know, hey, let's buy some bicycles and exercise. Kids are, you know, so I think, sure, we're going to lose sales tax from restaurants. Um, and the restaurant business obviously is down. Now, there's a lot of takeout, and, you know, it's certainly not 100%. Um, but I think there's other places we're going to see a growth of sales tax. So hopefully it won't be as bad as, because originally I thought, oh, this is going to kill but uh, people are buying things that they wouldn't have probably bought. Uh, I know personally, I bought a pressure washer, I bought a bicycle, um, you know, things that, that I wouldn't have bought and, you know, that I can use, you know, during this time. Anything you want to say to your teachers and your school administrators for the extra work they're doing and how they've adjusted to this? Yeah, just, and in, in, we tried to stay in touch with them at email and, and that thing is, you know, I'm, I'm so proud of them stepping up and um, haven't heard any, you know, there's no whining, there's no complaining. I think they realized what we've been able to do and keep things going, it's, it's not a traditional school, uh, it's a new way of teaching. Uh, I think when we come out of this, our goal is to be a better normal, not the new normal. And, um, and they realized it wasn't the government, it wasn't Washington, it wasn't Columbia, it was our teachers, our bus drivers, our cafeteria workers that said, look, we're gonna do whatever we gotta do to take care of our kids. And also, I think the general public is gonna look perhaps at public education differently, that hey, they stepped up. You know, as we get bashed a lot of times and, you know, uh, from the various sources, but I think people are going to look at public education differently, and um, and I know a lot of those parents who will be able to say, yeah, they well, my child needed help, help came. And the parents who had to homeschool or, or take care of their kids' lessons at home are going to appreciate them having somewhere to go to school and yeah. they can go to work. Because childcare issues are possible oh, yeah. too with it. Yeah. The other rite of passage that obviously your seniors are looking forward to is, is graduation, and you said you had some news on that. And I guess the final thing is, if parents of students have any questions, who do they contact, and how can they help during this e-learning process to help their kids finish out the year? Uh, well, if they have any questions, obviously the best point is, is their teacher to start with, and then their principal. And I think just... Um, uh, have a structured day with your student. We've had some parents go, look, I don't know how, how to teach my child to read. Well, one of the best things is just read to them, you know, um, uh, but just stay structured with it. 
Uh, we will probably, our plan is to end e-learning um, on the um, May 22nd and all the work would have to be, um, uh, all the work would, I'm looking at my notes, all the work would be completed on May 27th. So then after May 27th, e-learning really would be over. And uh, so if they can just, you know, keep their, you know, keep grinding another month and, you know, we'll get out of this and we'll have a summer and hopefully by summer things will open up more and then, you know, we'll gear up for next fall. And um, How has this affected gearing up for the fall? I mean, this uncertainty stuff. Well, actually, um, in the next week or so, we'll start preparing our schools with, with going ahead and doing summer projects, summer cleaning. In a way, it helps us with summer projects. Like, for example, at T.L. Hannah, we're replacing a lot of carpet there and some tile. So we'll go ahead and get started on that. We have projects at all the schools that we do each summer. Um, and it just, you know, it just gets to be a crunch to try to get it done before kids get back. So this gives us another month. And uh, we don't have any major construction projects right now. We're finishing up at Hannah. Well, we won't be finished, but we're building those new concessions and bathrooms there. So we'll, you know, they'll be working through the summer, hopefully by September or so, have that completed. And then hopefully in the fall, we'll be back to normal and playing football and band and and um, kind of put this behind us. And, and hopefully we'll have a vaccine sometime in the future uh, that will protect all of us. And we appreciate all the schools are doing to try to keep kids. It has to be difficult because I've talked to a number of people, including my brother who's a superintendent in another state, and he said none of the online school things that public schools have done have ever been tested at these kind of long distances. And like District 5 has been doing it longer than anybody in the state, so they're a little ahead of the game. But there's still a lot of challenges, and I know a lot of parents have, have really had to deal with the challenges of helping their kids with that in ways they never have before. We do appreciate all they're doing and all the folks that sometimes are forgotten, the bus drivers, the cafeteria folks uh, that are doing, and during this time, when you think about people that are essential about working, those people are, including our teachers who are having to figure out how to work from home and still educate the kids. And despite all this going on in education and other places, the political season is still upon us. Uh, the big, big elections in November, and here in South Carolina, the June 9th GOP primary is just over five weeks away now. And I want to remind everybody really quick who the candidates for the offices in Anderson County are. Anderson County District 2, County Council District 2, uh, Larry Bright and David Standard uh, are the two GOP nominees that, that are running. And, of course, the winner will face incumbent Democrat Gracie, Gracie Floyd in November. Uh, Anderson, County, County, um, Can Anderson County Council District 5 has County Council Chairman Tommy Dunn, and his challenger is Christine Shirley of the Shirley Farm in Anderson. Uh, that winner will run unopposed in November. Anderson County Treasurer, there's a race this year. Incumbent Jason P. Phelps is running against challenger Van James of Anderson, and that winner is unopposed in November. Anderson County Sheriff incumbent is, of course, Chad, Chad McBride. You know Chad. And the challenge, uh, challenger is former Anderson County Deputy Brandon Surratt. And, of course, the winner, winner there is also running unopposed in November. South Carolina House Seat 10, which covers Anderson, parts of Greenville, parts of Pickens. We have incumbent Wes Cox, who's being challenged by Mark Durham, and that winner is also running unopposed in November. South Carolina House Seat 8 is incumbent Representative Jonathan Hill and challenger uh, Anderson optometrist Vaughn Parfit. 
and that winner will run unopposed in November. South Carolina Senate seat three is incumbent Richard Cash and challenger of current Anderson County Councilman Craig Wooten. That winner is also running unopposed in November. And U.S. Senate has incumbent Lindsey Graham, who will face challengers Duke Beckner, Michael LaPierre, and Joe Reynolds. And the winner of that race uh, in the primary will face Democratic challenger Jamie Harrison in November for the U.S. Senate seat. If you're not registered, you have until May 8th for hand-delivered or May 10th by email or fax uh, or May 11th postmarked, which is to register. So it's coming up pretty quick. And you can register online quickly at scvotes.org, which is the best site to go to check everything. You could even check a sample ballot there and see what, who you'll be voting for and how by putting in your stuff, your uh, uh, home address, and it'll show you who you're eligible to vote for. Absentee ballots in Anderson County are already available, and you can find out more at the website. Uh, or Facebook of Anderson County's Office of Voter Registration and Elections. Let me tell you, Katie Smith and her team at the Voter Registration Office here in Anderson are crackerjack, and they're there to help you all the way through the things. And we've got the new voting machines that some people haven't used yet. If you haven't, they are easier and they are more secure. You have both electronic and a paper ballot to count, so it's much more difficult for those to be questioned because you do have a uh, paper trail. And in these uncertain times, it is a strange time to be a candidate in this election cycle. And I did talk to Anderson County Councilman Craig Wooten, who is running for the Senate 3 uh, Senate seat here in South Carolina, about all the challenges he's facing, being an elected official in county council and the things they're facing, and also about being a candidate for a statewide seat and seeking to find the best way to navigate an election during the coronavirus. Well, two couple of quick things, I guess. One... Um, I know county council is working hard on a budget. What are the challenges of doing all that during the shutdown times? For the county? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think we almost have to sort of take the template from last year as a, a starting point when you like to sort of start from scratch and, you know, just sort of make, you know, make minor adjustments because, you know, we're not afforded the, the committee days to really dig in depth and all the different things. So. Gotta have, something by May, I mean, gotta have something by May 15th, right? Yeah, uh, May 15th, a, a budget has to be presented. Right. So I think you'll see one with similar provisions from last year. Right. And then um, things that we've already talked about in committee throughout this year. But, you know, like last year, we you know we already had budget workshops by this time, or right. we were talking in depth in public safety or, or finance about different things. So that conversation happen a level of phones amongst um amongst people but not in the formal meeting where we can really dig deep yeah i know rusty's trying to figure out how to have a, a council meeting that last one was sort of such chaos nobody could figure out what's going on couldn't even hear the council people couldn't hear each other yeah and i from what i understand this interpretation of you know um when do you have to have a council meeting right. what can be afforded to us from a remote location you know, there's a little bit of the, you know, Leon's probably trying to figure out, you know, how to interpret things. But then, you know, the chairman has to present an agenda. Right. And so there's still a lot of moving parts there. And then at the same time, you know, Rusty has executive control to respond appropriately to the emergency. Right. That's you know, the emergency sort of throws everything out. I mean, it overrides kind of everything temporarily anyway. Yeah. And so... Um, well, all those things are important. You know, the main thing is the one that's emergency management is working well and very safe. So, uh, so I, I think you'll probably hopefully see the budget get out there, you know, by May 15th, but then it has to, and then, you know, a lot of robust discussion after May 15th when 
hopefully we can get together in some form or fashion. Right. And at least be able to discuss it here from the public. Well, and the other thing we were going to talk about is that you are running for South Carolina Senate seat. And um, yeah. what are the challenges that not just you, but all the candidates, maybe maybe you've talked to some other people, seem to be facing knowing that that June 9th primary seems to still be on the books and they're saying they're will, that they've already started absentee ballots and that kind of thing? Yeah, I think the biggest challenge is the interpersonal connection. You know, Anderson is uh, a place that shares a lot of the same values, but we, we have different regions. You know, Townsville to... The Piedmont or uh, Powderstill is different than Pendleton to uh, the city of Anderson. So one of the things you like the campaign is like to be able to get out there and, and, you know, shake hands and meet people and hear what is very important to them in their area. And that's harder to do with this crisis where we're supposed to maintain social distancing and not have an event. So, you know, you're, you're trying to talk to people over the phone and, and uh, via the web, but never like being there in person where you can really um, feel the person's emotion and understand what's important to their community. And you'd already done some of this before this all kicked in, right? I mean, you'd already been out talking to people and making trips around. Yes. Uh, one of the things I tried to do was have breakfasts with different groups in different areas and go to their nighttime events so that um, just you could see the things that are going on. What are the challenges of their fire department? What uh, what what good things are happening? What um what, what they're worried about. Um, do they consider themselves living in Anderson and commuting to Greenville, or, or are they retired to Anderson? And, and everybody has a different perspective. They have a different need. So, yeah, I've been doing a whole bunch of that over the last 12 months and was really energized by it. And But, you know, appropriately so, it, it came to a halt, and so you still want to be able to communicate with people, but um, it is a challenge. And I guess the big thing now is to encourage people to do their homework and then get out and vote, or at least absentee vote on the 9th of June, which will be here in just over a month now. Yeah, because with everything that's going on, it just underscores the importance of having strong, relevant leadership, um, someone who can make decisions, um, understand what's going on with people, and um, influence their peers um, for the betterment of Anderson. If anything, this crisis has underscored the importance of our elections and knowing what's going on and, and, and lifting up local leaders to, to represent us and, and represent us well. Well, and if anybody wants to find out more about your positions and all, where's the best place for them to find out more about you, Craig? Well, they can look at CraigWooten.com, C-R-A-I-G-W-O-O-T-E-N, or look me up on Facebook. I'm easy to find, Craig Wooten and Anderson. Or feel free to text or call me at uh, uh, 864-276-8867. Well, that sounds good. And just uh, if anything else happens, just keep me up to date, and we'll try to keep everybody else up to date. That's perfect. Thank you so All much, Greg. Right. Thanks, Greg. And I guess uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to cut it right there. I guess um, the uh, y'all going to launch in, in earnest in about a couple of weeks, or is that what you're waiting for, the week from, I mean, the ninth? Or... Uh, yeah, I think uh, really probably this this Friday. Okay, okay. Um, the, uh, May 1st, and, and I think well, uh, if you had any time to get together for some really, some quick shots on Wednesday. Uh, yeah, let's see here. Um, look at my Wednesday. Wednesday afternoon right now, i got some time. Um, let's see here. I know okay. I'm helping with that, trying to get the, all the places that Meals on Wheels is serving. I'm kind of shooting video at those places, so let's see. 
Wednesday afternoon, the 29th. Um, uh, like 2 o'clock somewhere? Yeah, let's plan on 2. And what my lady Julie asked me, she wanted probably, she's got like 15 things, like 15 things for me to say. So like I was 15 really quick one-sentence right. videos. Right. And then she was just wanting the raw footage quickly uh, merge it and do some things with it. Yeah, I can do that. I can shoot raw footage and send it to her. You want to, I tell you, you know, a good, uh, um, either, as you be, I mean, you always risk a little noise, but the downtown, but I was thinking maybe since the library is closed, other than just kind of drive through, somewhere around outside the library there might be good. Okay. Does that yeah, sound that good to you? Good. Let me, or, or yeah, the other thing, you know, we that. talked about one time before, um, the Vietnam Memorial out there at, uh, um, on Standridge Road at uh, um, Equinox Park. Yeah, That's, yeah. You want to do there instead? That should be quiet out there for sure. Yeah, yeah let's plan on there. Okay, That's, that'd be a good background too. And so, um, all right, well, I will see you unless something happens. If something comes up, you let me know and I'll let you know. And I'll, if not, I'll see you at 2 o'clock Wednesday afternoon. Okay, all right. perfect. Thank Thanks, you, Greg. Greg. See you, man. All right, bye. Bye. Also in Anderson County, uh, there's not a primary, uh, but Anderson County Democrats have a new chairman, Tanya Winbush, and she is no stranger to county politics. She's been involved for a couple of years now with the County Democratic Party, and she's looking forward to building on the progress there and working in the days ahead to help educate people and to get out and get people out to vote. Uh, this interview it will be slightly edited at the beginning. There were some technical difficulties on my end. My apologies to Ms. Winbush. Um, for the first few minutes, but the, she still offers the insights and her approach to the new position are still well, well represented in, in our discussion. Thought about getting involved in it at all. And so now that I'm in it, um, I like it. You know, I like, I like what it stands for and I like the potential that it has to be able to um, change things for the community as a whole and, and not so much, um, you know, federal government, but local and state government is, is what I'm really um, interested in and the things that I want to be able to help people in Anderson County come together um, with with policy and legislation to just kind of change everything to be more inclusive um, no matter what side of town you live on. Right, and, and so two years as vice chair and then the Clyburn Fellow, and now what what are the big challenges facing the Democratic Party in Anderson County now? So right now is just <clears throat> complacency. Uh, I think a lot of times when we have been red for so long and it's almost been a way of life where you don't even have people who were even run or put their name on the ballot because they feel like they don't even have a chance. Um, they won't even try. Um, I think the complacency um, has, has kind of set in that this is just the way it is. And because of that, um, people have kind of just given up and not even tried. And there's like no excitement. Um, there's no uh, will to even try to change things or to make things a little more uh, on an even playing field. And that being the case, um, I my challenge is getting people involved and let, letting them know that they're is the Anderson Democratic Party. There is new leadership in the Anderson Democratic Party that um, you have choices now. It's not just all one-sided. We have um, one, two, three. We have three people 
that we've, we've helped put on the ballot to run um, um, in the state and local level. Matter of fact, I think it's four. And that's, that's something that really has never been done before. And so it has, but not in a very, 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 very long time. Um, when when it's time for, when it's time for election, it's usually just one sided. It's only one name on the ballot, and that's just what it is. And so I'm very very excited that we have people who have, you know, brave, are brave enough to even try to put their name on the ballot and make a difference. So I'm excited. Do Do you think local, like you were talking about local elections, like county and city, should those be nonpartisan? Would they, that be better for everybody that? It definitely will be better for everybody. I know the city is nonpartisan, right? And and but the county, if it was nonpartisan, I think it would be better for everybody. But not so much nonpartisan. I think that would be good. But I think it would be good if people were just informed. So that's another thing that I want to. Um, that's my challenge is just getting out information to people um, to let them know, you know, what it means to run for county council or city council. You know what's required you know, what kind of policies that they, that it, it, how it affects your life. Because a lot of people don't understand that most of your, your laws and your policies that affect you, they come from the state and the local government. And the county council has a lot of say in what goes on in our, you know, everyday local lives. And so um, I just want to inform people. I want to let them know what goes on, who's legislating what, why things are the way they are. And if you don't like them, what you can do to change them and um, make them more uh, efficient or make them more conducive to your lifestyle. Um, and so, I mean, that's, that's what I want to do. That's why I'm doing what I do. And, you know, one of, one of the things is um, I just think we have, haven't been heard. We haven't had a voice for a very long time. And that's, I just want to bring a voice back to the party um, so that everything is not so one-sided. Yeah, I, I've been around politics a long time. You, you've entered in a year where it's very difficult to compete for attention if you're a new <laughs> candidate. I mean, it's a challenge <laughs> like nobody's ever seen. I mean, anybody running for anything, but especially new candidates running against, trying to dig out attention against all this virus stuff. Oh, God, yeah. It, it is a challenge, um, and that's one reason why it's so important to have social media uh, if it wasn't for social media, I, I don't know how we would do it. Um, we are making phone calls. We are. We, we can't go door to door. We can't knock on doors and introduce ourselves, which I think is very effective when it comes to somewhere like Anderson County because we, we all know each other. We're mm -hmm. all Southern. We all, you know, love to say, how you doing, smiles, and, and greeting and shaking hands. And, you know, um, and so to me, it does take a big a big, big chunk away of being able to put yourself out there when you can't do that. But we still have phone calls, which people are skeptical to answer the phone because, you know, the telemarketers. Um, but, we, you know, we're, we're doing our best to get out there. And the, the, the downside of that is the majority of the voters are elderly, 65 and older, and a lot of them, they don't answer the phone. And it would be good to knock on the door and, you know, introduce yourself and ask them if they need anything and kind of let them know what you're doing in the community or what you're running for. But when you can't do that and they're not picking up the phone and they're not on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, you know, it, it does pose a challenge. But, you know, we are up for the challenge. The, the thing that um, I want to, you know, the mark that I want to leave with this position is um, that nothing, 
nothing comes easy. If you want something, you have to work hard for it. And once I have left and, you know, and, and I'm done where I'm done with the party, I want to be able to set a foundation for it to be built on so that it can continue to grow and continue to make a mark and continue to be a, um, a staple part of the community. I want it to be community-based so that anybody can feel comfortable and not necessarily, like you said, the partisan thing. Um, I, I chose Democrat just because it's just, you know, more conducive to my beliefs, but I have a lot of conservative beliefs as well. I mean, I think we all do, um, being from the South. And so um, I think that's where it makes it harder when you do have those partisan divides and you have to kind of talk through those. Communication is key, and that's why I always try to, you know, let people know who I am before I tell them, oh, I'm a I'm a Democrat because that kind of shuts the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a shame we've gotten to that place. Well, is social media the best place for people that, or of course, people are going to be listening to this podcast are going to be interested in social media. Is that the best place to find out yeah. most stuff about the Anderson County Democratic Party? Yes. So our Facebook page is up and coming. We got a lot of information that we have been, you know, posting lately on Facebook. So that's the best place to get the information. We are working on getting our website up. It's it's there, but it's not really functional. So and it doesn't have a lot of information. So I'm working on that. Um, so that that will be up and coming. And then we we expect to have um, more things like our Twitter and our Instagram where we'll have that up and running as well. So we are a work in progress. Um, I'm looking forward to getting all of it, you know, all the working pieces moving. It is a challenge, like you said, but we have to start somewhere. Just because it's hard doesn't mean, you know, you got you give up, you tuck your tail and, and say, oh, this is just too hard. You kind of have to take the challenges head on. And that, that just comes from my background growing up. You know, my mom and my dad and also my military, I'm, I'm a veteran. I'm a 15-year combat veteran. And so that being said, you just, you kind of, you have to, you know, you have a mission. You get your mission. You accomplish your mission. Um, you can't complain. You can't say how hard it is. You look at your challenges and you try to do the best to combat those challenges and make sure that your mission is accomplished to the best of, um, of your ability. You know, that's just part of being a soldier. And so that's going to be in me no matter what, to the day I die. And that's how I, I, take, I you know, that's how I take on um, the things that I want to do and well, want to accomplish. That sounds like a great approach. I wish you well. I hope that things go well. And I want to, again, all the people I've talked to today are people who have taken time to get involved to make this community a better place. And I want to thank all the guests on this week's podcast. Each of them is a shining example of carrying on and making the best of situations. None of us even considered about six months ago, back when people were just complaining about Christmas decorations going up too early. My hope is we can all take the precautions to keep the most vulnerable citizens healthy, as well as to make plans to reopen the businesses when, uh, which have been closed by the state. But rushing it or putting arbitrary dates on a reopen is pennywise and dollar foolish. Schools have time to plan for the fall now, and I'd like to see all the businesses have that sort of time too. And while I understand how hard it is on small local businesses that are being hit by this, including my business, which has been hit very hard, restarting with the confidence that we are ready to go back is a goal that we should have at the front of our, our list. And it'll put us all back on a path to recovery economically and medically that we can sustain and move ahead and not get caught with a rebound where we have to shut down again because we, we rush to get back. And in the meantime, if you are 
healthy and practicing social distancing, wearing a mask when you go out in public, and are really itching for something to do, call our local charities. Any of them will be glad to have you help either at home making calls or doing something, or maybe even in person for some of you. There's AIM, Meals on Wheels, Salvation Army, The Haven Rest, Clean Start, Emergency Soup Kitchen, the South Main Mercy Chapel, just to name a few. There are many others. Uh, it's also really important. You could you could make an encouraging phone call to someone you know is home alone during all this, which is a much bigger deal than you think, and it is a very positive thing for the community and helping. Uh, you can send thank you notes to friends, family, and neighbors who are working during all this at, at these essential businesses. And if you attend a church, don't forget to support it. Uh, I know a lot of them are suffering financially in a big way from this shift to online-only services because uh, a lot of the folks are, that are older don't aren't accustomed to dealing with giving online and so the offerings are down. So help out if you can, if that's something you're a part of. We are all offered the opportunity to do something. And you know, the gift is always in the giving. And some of us have more time on our hands than others. And some of us don't. But doing something to make Anderson a better place is just another way to say thank you to those who are working extra hard and long hours in these essential businesses. Well, that's it for this week's Anderson Observer Podcast, news from people you trust. Join me here next week for some interesting economic news some more interviews, and more. And until then, get out and do something to make Anderson a better place. Oh.